Welcome to the AP Podcast. This is Mike Shea. Our guest is Tim Lambesis, lead singer and founding member of metalcore band As I Lay Dying. On the band's website, Tim writes, I'm not sure what the difference is between five Christians playing in a band and a Christian band. Many of our songs are about life, struggles, mistakes, relationships, and other issues that don't fit entirely in the spiritual category. We hope to intelligently represent a faith that has been very misrepresented in the entertainment industry. There just isn't much diversity of thought within metal music. Now, there are a lot of bands within the Christian rock community who have suffered the criticism from the secular and non-secular fan bases they've acquired. You know, that you're either not enough about your faith and you're selling out, or you're too much about your faith and you need to stop preaching and instead rock out more. As I Lie Dying have, no doubt, been fighting this two-front battle since they formed in 2001. Now, they've attempted to unite the two communities through a series of successful records, launching off with Frail Words Collapse in 2003 that featured the hit singles 94 Hours and Forever. This was followed by the conceptual Shadows Are Security in 2005, A Long March, the first recordings, a compilation, in 2006, and most recently, 2007's An Ocean Between Us, produced by Killswitch Engage's Adam D. Yet regardless of selling more than a half a million records to date, the band still finds it difficult for either their positive message to always be embraced by the scorch the earth metal crowd, or their lack of come to Jesus today spiritualized lyrics to be accepted by their more pious fans. But does it matter? The band, consisting of Lambesis on vocals, founding member Jordan Mancino on drums, rhythm guitarist Phil Scrasso, lead guitarist Nick Hippa, and bassist Josh Gilbert have been able to musically transcend both the Ozfest and Warped Tour worlds, creating a mutual respect from Iron Maiden and Every Time I Die fans alike. Throughout the past decade, our country has struggled greatly with how religious views and entertainment should be mixed and represented, from the perceived symbolism in the Chronicles of Narnia to the anti-abortion discussion created from Juno. And Tim Lambesis knows all too well about this discussion. We begin our conversation, well, at the beginning. I want to get part of the background down. Um, you're not originally from San Diego, are you? No, I, I was born in, in Phoenix. Phoenix, uh, okay. Yeah, right. Actually, I have three brothers, and all three of them still live in Phoenix. Uh, and then my, my family uh, moved out to California uh, when I was young, and, and I've lived there. Uh, the only exception is I tried to play guitar in a band, and uh, you know, like like most musicians, are willing to do anything and move anywhere to play music. And so, uh, I originally wanted to be a guitar player in a band, and so I, I moved to Texas to play guitar. Really, and lasted about six months, and realized it wasn't it didn't really fit me, and I'd rather just start my own band and be back in San Diego. Why did you go to Texas, though? Oh, well, that, that's where the band was. That's from. where the band was yeah. from. Okay. So yeah, it was a band called Society's Finest, Finest. at the okay. time. Yeah, and they they. Uh, they had just gotten signed to Solid State, you know. And me being a Christian, I was definitely had my ear to the ground, you know, with bands like Living Sacrifice and Zayo and some of the older sure. Christian heavy bands, and they they seem to be kind of like the next in line. And and I think you know, with given better circumstances and not so many member changes and and whatnot, you know, maybe a little better work ethic of touring more often, you know, they they could have done that, you know. But you know, every band has its its uh, difficulties getting off the ground. Do you, do you have you found like because um, you've been through a couple bands? I mean, this is like your third band now. You've actually been it because you were you were Society's Finest at what point of rec- recognition is another one and yeah. And was there was there another one that was in there before As I Lie Dying? Th- those were the only we ones. That up? 
No, I mean, those are the only ones that actually released anything, you know? Okay. I, I, you know, of course, every musician, uh, I, I didn't actually learn how to play guitar until I was 18, so, mm. uh, but my last year in high school, I was in two two different bands just within that year alone, so. Have you found, like, have you found now that you're older and wiser that, uh, uh, that there's just a gut instinct that you can tell, like when you start a, when you get into a band with a bunch of guys, that this isn't going to work. Yeah, I mean, uh, even if it works musically, I mean, personality-wise, you know, you might kill each other on the road before you before you ever get a chance to uh, release an album. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's you know, there's so many um, situations with a band where it's like fitting a square peg into a round hole, you know, where people just the personalities don't work, and 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 that eventually will translate into you know the way they write music together and everything like that. Is there from talking with other bands on the road <clears throat> throughout the years and, and, you know, managers and label people and stuff like that, have you found that there's a, there's like a, you know, there's like a killer bug, there's a killer musician personality that will nine times out of ten just screw up everything? Like the particular type of guy or gal that should not, that just you just know. You see them in the band, you're like, this isn't going to last. Yeah, it's funny because most of those, like, you know, th- those personalities seem to be the guys that are the most talented, just raw talent. But then they, you know, they're so in their own world that they don't actually contribute that much to songwriting, even though they're extremely talented. And, um, you know, they have a hard time, um, you know, listening to somebody else's idea because they know they're talented, you know. And, and I think those type personalities are, are guys I've seen in bands that's just like, man, if I had a quarter of that talent, I mean, the things I would do with it. You know, I'm, I'm not the greatest guitar player in the world. You know, I... I uh, you know, feel like I've been able to contribute and, and write songs within Asley Dying from a guitar perspective that, you know, that have been, um, you know, I, I think very interesting even for other guitar players to play. But, it, uh, you know, it shows that you could be, you take a little bit of talent and, and stretch it a long way. And I think some of those, you know, those uh, those shredders that are out there, you know, just if, if they had a different mindset, you know. Does it, does it, uh, do you think that if somebody is, Listening to this, and they got a band member in there, and they're and they're kind of following along that line, you know, the the super talent, and they know it, um, sort of scenario. Do you think that those sorts of that those are hopeless situations to be in? Uh, it's a case by case basis. I don't know. I I would hate to be judgmental and to say it's always hopeless and, and to stereotype all talents. I mean, because you know Nick and Phil, you know, in in my band now, they're they're extremely talented guitar players, and they're not that way. So I mean, th- there is. There are talented people, you know, that don't fit that stereotype, and um, you know, I, I think everybody knows deep down, you know, bef- before the time comes, they know when it's, they know when it's hopeless. They just don't want to admit it because everybody, uh, especially young musicians, they they want to pursue the dream so bad that they're willing to hold on to things that just just aren't going to work. So you were saying before that, um, and I, I believe that it was uh, the first record um, that where you did, you wrote the. S- lyrics and the guitar parts. Am I correct? And yeah, the songs I mean, in, the, in the first one, and you kind of look back on that and you go, you know, that wasn't really my strength. I need to focus on one area instead of another. Yeah, well, I think uh, you know, I, I didn't write every guitar part without a doubt, you know, but but mm-hmm. mo- m- a majority of the guitar parts on on Frail Words Collapse, I, I did write it, and um, you know, I, I think that uh, you know that that's a great album because of of Jordan's drumming and sort of uh, accenting. You know, maybe some simpler guitar parts that I had written, and it actually sounds more technical in the long run than than it really is. Uh, you know, but but I knew that as far as the for the sake of progressing, and I think that's what keeps me excited about music is each album is a little bit of a progression and a little more, um, you know, just challenging for me. And, and I knew that I, I really wasn't going to uh, push the envelope that much further from the guitar side. So I still, even now, even our new album, I contribute, mm-hmm. um, but it, 
you know, the, the progression has come from, from Phil and from Nick really uh, also contributing. Yeah, you've said that, that you felt like this record was the new one, um, is uh, the first time where everybody kind of was involved in one way or another, yeah. as opposed to previous records. Is that right? Yeah, it was. It's, it's almost like a stepping stone. I mean, Jordan's always on the the rhythm side of it, in the syncopation of our music. I mean, that's that's really uh, the strength. You know, that that's, that makes I I think parts heavier than than they would be if maybe another band plays them. And and so Jordan's always been involved from that side. Um, you know, but so you know, kind of going back in history, Frail Words Collapse, our first record on Metal mm-hmm. Blade was Jordan and I focusing on the majority of songwriting, uh, and then the next record, Shadows Are Security, was. Jordan, Phil, and I, the oh, okay. three of us. And so then, it was an evolution. Yeah, and then this this most recent record was Jordan, Phil, Nick, and I. So it's mm-hmm. you know it's it's really you know and hopefully uh, Josh, our new bass player, will will be the the final step you know when we when we uh, you know complete our next record. Was it just a natural progression from record to record for you, uh, as much as the collaborative issues? I mean, was it something that? Um, well, let me ask this: if you were to, if you were to kind of create a pie chart in the beginning. When uh, you and Jordan put the band together, and I want to make sure that 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 is correct as well. That that it really was just the two of you initially that came up with the idea for let's do this band together, and then you brought in other people. Well, is it, that correct? I mean, even more simply, it was, it was you know I, I moved home and I had written these ideas, you know, that I was like, all right, you know, eventually want to make my own band, and and I approached both Jordan and our original guitar player at the time and okay. said, okay, the, here's like a basic foundation for the band. You know, what do you guys think, and where can we go from here? And it was the three of us that really, kind of, you know, quickly moved the band forward. Um, uh, but it was actually shortly after we, we released that first record, our guitar player said, "Oh, I want to go to school." And so Jordan and I sort of took the reins. And and you know, like I said, me, especially way way back then, I was uh, wrote almost all the guitar parts anyway. And way so. way back when, just so we can clarify, it was two thousand one. Yeah, two thousand one. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's way 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 back then. All right. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. if, you know, in, yeah. in, in in my short history, you know, right. it's not it's not. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> It's just, you know, nineteen fifty ones way, way, way back, but two thousand one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so, but, it, but in the, but in the beginning, it really was, uh, in a way, because uh, you've had, I, I think, uh, the total I counted, kind of between a variety of different sites trying to compile all the different information. It was you've been through about five bases and five guitar players, roughly, and rather rhythm guitar, lead guitar. Was, yeah, I mean, I, most it was basically the two of you guys. Yeah, I mean, most of the guys that that came with, like, you were, you know. Um, most of those guys would come on tour or, or, or one and realize, wow, this is actually a lot harder or a lot more grueling than I originally thought. And maybe, you know, maybe I want to go back to school or maybe, you know, or maybe uh, metal is not the kind of music I want to play or, or you know, wh- whatever the case may be. And, uh, you know, I appreciate all of those guys that came away, but a lot of them, it was, it was all within a matter of a month or two, you know. So we, mm-hmm. we never actually sat down and wrote music together. We just was like kind of this situation where we, we wanted to stay on tour. Jordan and I... We, you know, we've been very dedicated since the very beginning. It's tr- it's hard to find people that are willing to, uh, you know, sleep in a van for 18 hours, you know, driving, you know, from one, you know, one spot of the U.S. to another, you know. What do you think, um, I, want, I do want to go back to the, the, the first record and, and the formation, but I just kind of, you just brought up something there. What do you think, is there a prerequisite of sacrifices that one must make? I mean, there's some obvious ones. You're never going to be home. You got a dog or a cat. You better find somebody to take care of it. But are there personal sa- are there just personal sacrifices there are there emotional sacrifices spiritual sacrifices those sorts of things that maybe yeah. people don't really think about until they're out on the road for 4 weeks and they're like oh, crap yeah I, th- I think the easiest one for anybody to relate to is that uh is very limiting uh as far as relationships and with you know, with, you know, with a few exceptions you know obviously uh you know it, it can work you know, you know I know that firsthand but 
Um, most of the time it's very, you know, you get to know somebody and they're from one city and you, you hang out for two hours and it's hard to have a, a meaningful relationship. And I think that's why the stereotype of band guys, you know, just wanting to go out there and, you know, find the girl who's going to sleep with them, you know, being it, the that, eternal bartender. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's where that whole thing comes from, of course, you know, sure. but, uh, it, it does for people that want a meaningful relationship and, and want to just, uh, you know, have that depth and that, that great conversation. And, and, you know, ultimately, um, you know, people want to be, not not only somebody they're attracted to, but somebody they consider their best friend, and that's that's almost impossible, you know, in in uh, in the touring situation. It's like the Hollywood celebrity marriage. Yeah, right? you know what I mean. Yeah, it's it's curious. What um, it's going to turn into love line in a second, but um, <laughs> um, you've been married how long now? Uh, three and a half, a little little longer, three and a half. Well, years. Congratulations, that's great. That's great. Um, where how did what's the secret to making it work? Well, uh, you know, we we met and, and we had a lot of time at home before the band really started okay. touring like crazy. And I think that's, you know, that, that in and of itself makes makes my situation unique, you know. But, I mean, as far as if we were to have met, you know, once the band was already in the midst of touring and, you know, we're just stopping by and here we are in, in the city. And, and even if you have an amazing connection, it's just really hard to, to, um, to build upon that, you know. Some people just look each other in the eyes and they have this love at first sight, you know, and sure. I mean, that can only carry you for so long, you know, then you have to have a real connection. Um, so, you know, she didn't care what band I was in, uh, you know, she didn't necessarily even like metal. So it's, you so, know, so it's kind of like a Rocky and Adrian thing, right? Yeah. yeah little, right. right. Yeah, and I've no interest that. whatsoever initially. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so, um, do, but it's, I'd imagine that in the, with these sorts of relationships as well as, um, you know, anybody that's on the road, like maybe these people that go out and do these, these stage tours and stuff like that. They go around and they do these and, and they live in New York or LA or something like that and they've got relationships there. The the dynamics of trust have to be so much more stronger. Yeah. And these yeah. and you're in this particular type of relationship as opposed to your your one that you come home every night and want to go to Blockbuster and get a video. Okay, great. You know, so it's like how do you how does a musician I like what what sort of uh, I guess parameters are there I mean is it something where you find that most musicians and friends of yours that are in relationships and marriages like they have to call home more they got to stay in touch more is it how do you kind of take care of that that trust dynamic that's probably there yeah well being where we're at now it's it's easier um honestly looking back on when we were in a van and I it's hard for me to know how how I made it you know how we made it through <laughs> um but you know being where we're at now I mean you know my wife just actually just left um, two days ago. You know, she she comes out for three day weekends all the time, and uh, you know she can stay on the bus, and it's not you know, it's not a horrible sleeping environment for her. And I, that's how we make it work now. You know, but there is there's definitely a lot of time required on the phone, and um, the unfortunate side of that is it's not as comforting. You know, when somebody's had a bad day or, or just a tough time, sometimes all they need is somebody to just put their arm around you know arm around that person and just sit there and watch TV for half an hour, and you mm-hmm. didn't say a word, you just feel better. You know, but uh, that, there's no way of making that happen. So talking on the phone is the closest thing. Um, you know, some of the other guys have girlfriends, you know, and so mm-hmm. I, I think they, you know, th- they would agree with me on that. That's the closest thing we can get, you know, but uh, things are getting easier and easier, you know, um, especially when people can come out and spend time with us on the road. And it's really just more, uh, um, you know, who who wants to, to travel and who doesn't, you know, some, some wives and some girlfriends, um, you know, love traveling. Some of them hate it. Do you think, uh, and I don't want to get you in trouble with your wife back home, but with this question, but um, do you th- do you find that the, um, you know, some people on this planet can be very cynical, and do you find that the human condition kind of lends itself to the, uh, you know, 
somewhat of a stereotype of once somebody knows you're in a relationship, that's, that means that you're good and you should be gotten. So thus they are going to try and break up the relationship so they can have you. You kind of see that on uh, the road, you know, those types of people that are kind of like, oh. Yeah, well, that's actually, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think the thought you put into that question is is more thought than most of those people are capable of, <laughs> of, of you know, <laughs> of putting into it. Well, okay. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I see what you're but saying. But you know what like, I'm talking about. You know, this is somebody worth, those worth being with, you know, so if I have to, you know, pry my way in and break something up, it, it's worth it to end up with this person. I, I don't think that that level of, of thinking really goes into most of, you know, when you, when you see like a girl come to a show, you know, uh, half undressed or half dressed, however you like to call it, you know? Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Glass half full. Yeah. Right. So, Depending on your mood. Right. But, um, you know, when, when I, I typically, you know, and not to, not to stereotype, you know, sure. people by, by what kind of clothes they wear, but I, I don't think of that girl, uh, using that kind of, of, of logic and, and really, you know, even, even getting to that point, you know, so. So, uh, so how delicately, um, do you remove yourself from those sorts of situations then when you're, you know, you just, is it just something you just turn around and walk away or you kind of like, you know, when somebody's like, you know, you know like the, the, uh, the reformed alcoholic and somebody's trying to pass him beer and like, no, it's okay. Is it simple as that? Well, you know, to be honest, I mean, there's different times in my life. I mean, you know, I don't know if this is too much honesty for, for a podcast, but no, you know, no, it's, there, it's there have been times where, you know, I, for the sake of, 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 you know, I think you know, being in a band, you always want everybody to remember. Oh, that guy was so nice when I met him. That guy was sure. You know, it was, it was great sure. meeting him in person. And um, you know, there's been girls that have come up and been a little more forward than I, than I've been comfortable with. But instead of me just being like, get away from me, like seriously, you know, just you know, I'm I'm going to the bus. You know, leave me alone. Um, you know, I, I I there's been situations where I've sat there and and I, I um, you know, looking back on it, you know feel like I didn't do the right thing. I should have just, you know, drawn the line very, very soon. And, mm-hmm. you know, some people, you give them an inch and they, you know. Sure. Oh, you sure. Know, they, they, they run yeah. with it, you know. It goes back to that, that cynicism, you know. It's yeah. a human condition sometimes. And so some people, you know, if you're, you're, you know, some girls, if you're too nice to them, and I've been in situations where I've just, you know, I really haven't done anything other than, than be friendly. But right. but then, you know, they, they try to take that and run with it. And, uh, you know, so now I've learned, um, you know, the, the hard way that it's best to, uh, you know, to just, take care of it before it even gets started just if, if somebody's being flirtatious just be like okay hey you know like i'm gonna you know i'm gonna go back to the bus you know i got you know i have a massive headache yeah. the dog's barking in the bus i gotta go yeah right right, right. My, my excuse usually is that i'm I'm really hungry and have dinner waiting for me on the bus so or you know i mean <laughs> it, it's, it's code it's, phrase got yeah. it got yeah, it so. all right um so let's go back to that let's go back to the first record um just because i've always um I always kind of felt that that with any artist, whether it's a musician, whether it's a writer for the first book, whether it's a um, uh, some sort of performer, uh, where the first project that they get to do that really gets to come out, every single thing that influenced in their life at that point just comes busting out. Right. First work. Yeah. And so do you feel that way about the first record? Do you feel like there was all these things that you listened to in high school and and the things that you wished you could, the records you could have played on and the bands you could have been in and all this stuff? And it just your major influences uh, found their way in one way or another to come out on that first record. Yeah, I, I think. uh it depends on what people consider our first record. I mean, right. I, I was just going to yeah. bring that up, actually, because there's actually there was one. 
uh, in itself uh, released one, wasn't there? Or was on uh, was it was, was the name of the label? It was a small uh, Pluto one. Records. Pluto, right, yeah. right, exactly, exactly. But some people still consider the the Frail World's collapse. In their yeah. opinion, as the first record, really wasn't. It was the other one. Yeah, well, it's tough because I mean to speak about Frail World's collapse is, is I think was more of an organized process, and I you know I remember everything a little bit better. Um, but to go back to our, our our initial releases on Pluto Records, I think we were. Uh, at least me, as mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a, a songwriter and, and guitar player, influenced by, um, by, like Im- immediate bands around me. You know, like bands that that I just heard a week ago. That I was like, oh, this band's awesome. You know, and and I think that sort of influenced me right then and there because that whole record was written in a month, and then the next month we went to record it, and it was just all such a big rush that it was all um, kind of lumped into to my immediate surroundings. Mm-hmm. But you know, Frillwards Collapse to me um, is is the first record that we recorded where I feel like, okay, now, now I know what I'm doing. I've been in the studio before and, and I'm ready to actually, I consider that like our first full length where we actually, uh, took it, took it totally serious, you know? So when, when I look at that, I, I included, um, you know, m- much more long-term influences, you know, like even the opening track 94 hours uh, right. has a very, uh, Iron Maiden like riff in it, but, but then this whole sense of rhythm that we had was much more influenced by like a thrash and, and uh, you know, just double bass and, and all the the rhythmic side that Jordan really brings to the band. So uh, our influences were on our sleeves on that record as well, but they were just more diverse. Do you um? You said you it was the first record you felt like you you took it serious. Like yeah. How do I like? So it seems to imply that your the the previous because you did not only the full record, you also had an EP that you split. Am I correct? Yeah. Well, with, with both of those, it was just hey, let's go in the studio, let's record some songs like. You know, whatever comes to mind, let's just record it and see what happens. You know, because we, there was no expectation. We had no mm-hmm. fan base. And who really cared? You know, it's like, you know, worst case, you know, it it, it flops. And, and we're no worse off than we are now because nobody knows who we are now. And, and it just really didn't matter. Um, but I, I feel like it took that. Um, you know, it's, it's I think for bands getting started, you know, they're they're always like waiting for, you know, the perfect record label to release something or the perfect, you know, whatever. And just, just get in the studio and write whatever you have feel like is on your mind and and just see what happens you know because it you know you might realize before you even finish recording that album that it's you know it's it's not coming together and it's not worth being in a band and and if you, you've come to that point then you're you know you at least saved yourself you know five years of, of anguish you know what i mean so now you, you were those the which two records did you produce that yourself because it's i guess the 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 what I've learned is that the, the, the official statement is that you've produced two of the records. Yeah, uh, well, the, the original recordings on on Pluto Records. Okay. We didn't no, those, those we didn't have a producer, so okay. I didn't even know what a producer was back then. You know, I just was Got like, it. I just want to record. And through through recording those, I realized, wow, you know, the engineer really just sort of hit record. He didn't didn't really work with the song structure or the creativity or, you know, anything involved in the whole songwriting. He you know he just you know, like I said, sort of hit record. And then so going into the Metal Blade releases, uh, Frail Words Collapse mm-hmm. and Shadows Are Security, I, I really took the reins as a producer, not only to understand the technical side a whole lot better at that point, mm-hmm. but I felt like, hey, you know, if somebody's going to get, you know, get in here and, and be involved with songwriting and, and you know, song arrangement and, and all that, I mean, you know, either either we're going to pay somebody I really, really respect or I'm just going to do it myself, you know, and so... so well, I just nobody's going to care as much as you will yeah, about exactly. your own project. Do you... Uh, were there, were there, were there, um, did you have, uh, mentors when you were going to go produce? I mean, cause you're producing your first record, first time. And, and I mean, were the people at Metal Blade kind of, uh, kind of like, um, sure about this? 
Well, no, I think with them. Um, or were they kind of they they supported you? Yeah, they, they've always been really supportive. I I think they also um, saw the potential the band had, but didn't necessarily. I don't think any of us thought, including the label, that we would uh, have had the kind of success that we ended up having. Uh, Which is always a nice place to be because yeah, nobody yeah. expects anything. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> I think it was it's easier to trust you know uh, a guy producing his you know his first record um, in a situation where you you know you're only really expected to to make your money back and maybe uh, you know right. do a couple great tours and then everybody when they sign a band they, it's, it's it's kind of unset you know unsaid thing that if you can break even on the first record that the second record's where you're going to actually make your money as mm-hmm. a label you know and and I, I guess that's a uh, that's a dying theory as well, you know, given the the music industry now and everything. But um, you know, I think we were all surprised, that we, you know, that we were able to, you know, at this point sell over 200,000, you know, copies of a record that, you know, that we self-produced. We recorded the whole thing in less than two weeks. You know, it just, it's just pretty, pretty mind-blowing. You did, you, did you find that there's now now that you've you've got a number of records underneath your belt and you've been able to talk to a lot of industry people over the years and, and stuff, have you found that there's a rule of thumb to producing? That there's a there's a there's a because when you're director of a film, you have to find a way to piece the plot together and make it have a soul more or less. Yeah. And it's the same thing with a record. Regardless of what you're doing, whether you're classical, you're doing metal, you're doing hardcore punk, you're doing the craziest stuff possible, noise. Um, you there's a way, you have to find that soul so that it all connects, so that the, re- the listener comes away with a, a feeling or a sense yeah. or something, a vision of some sort. So, did you, how did you? Is there some sort of method to any of that? Uh well you wing it well because I was, <laughs> I was so involved um you know in in the songwriting side of it it was it was all just kind of it, it just is very natural just kind of this this machine that just sort of took over you know sure. um yeah it, that's a tough question to, you know to answer because I I felt like I had a very clear um, idea of, of what I wanted to accomplish and what sort of uh, emotions would be conveyed through, you know, whether it be a, very aggressive at times or, or a little more, a little deeper at, at, at other times, you know, um, just the ups and downs of making a record. And I, I feel uh, I had all that stuff in mind. I, I, it, it's really, what I was limited by was more the uh, the technical um, understanding I had at the time. You know, I didn't, I didn't really understand uh, how to use Pro Tools. So some stuff was overproduced and, and overly mechanical. But I did want a mechanical sound. I just don't know if I wanted it quite that mechanical, you know. And I think what really limited me on those early records was just my understanding of the engineering side. And now, now I understand that so much better, um, you know. So it, I don't know. I, my 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 strength back then was was definitely, um, like I said, songwriting and arrangement. Mm-hmm. And and now now I think I've become more well rounded. But uh, but uh, in 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 that whole process, I've also realized that. Uh, by by not producing our latest album, I was able to focus so much more um, on the on the vocals, and and I really feel like uh, you know the songwriting was already there. We handed Adam you know, our pre-production and said, "Here's here's a recording of our whole album. We just want to record it again, make it sound better." You know, and then I was able to focus on my vocals that way. Um, you um, it's kind of interesting. You you uh, you kind of said uh, that you know. You, kind of realized that you made made some s- songs sound too much of this and too much of that and none of this and none of that because you, you went back in and you actually re-recorded am i correct your ep yeah you redid it when you re- when it became released as the uh, as it was a, it was a combo pack or was a combo you took the, the first record in the ep and you re-released it 2006 on metal yeah. blade and it, you know it's kind of like what george lucas went back in with star wars and he touched it up 
Yeah. And the purists went through the roof and they said they ruined it. And, and there's a group of people out there now that still hate him for that. Yeah. And did you find there's something to be said to go back and redo something? As yeah. you've, now that you're older and you've learned more and you're like, oh, that's how you play a guitar. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I wish that, uh, that it, those releases were as monumental as maybe Star Wars, you know? So, <laughs> but I, I, I think the difference is, is that, uh, is that they weren't so monumental, and so we didn't have a, a backlash. I, most of our fans actually felt like, "Wow, I'm glad you did re-record those songs because <laughs> okay, all right. now I realize what you were trying to get across." And and you know, like I said, those earliest recordings, there was no producer; it was just the engineer. Um, you know, who we we said, "Hey, we have six days in the studio to do a full length," and he was like, "All right, well, the only thing I'm gonna really do as far as the producer's side is just make sure that you finish on time." You know, so. <laughs> What's the um, now? I, again, I want to make sure that I, I've I've understood correctly. You're you you've got a lot of respect for the punk and the hardcore community, but you've got a lot of a background in the hardcore community, or at least you're very familiar with that whole crowd. And, yeah. And I mean, what was your music scene in San Diego when you were starting to get into bands? What was your scene? Uh, well, back then there was a band uh, Built to Last and uh, No Innocent okay. Victim. It was. I guess what people would consider like the the late '90s style of, of hardcore. I mean, even from you know moving up to Orange County, a band like Strife, mm-hmm. and those bands were all influenced by like the New York hardcore bands. Sure, but you know they they sort of brought their own twist to it, which which on, on the West Coast was a little bit heavier, and they definitely would never consider themselves metal influenced or or at least heavily metal influenced. But um, but I, I saw how they were making everything a little bit heavier, and it was like, man, I love the aggression that's behind this, and I love, you know. I, it's it's like the aggression from a hardcore band, but but what makes it heavy is that it's more metal than the New York hardcore bands and and so I, you know back then I mean this is, you know in two thousand one where there wasn't, you know uh, a million metalcore bands you sure. know what I mean uh, you know I, I decided okay well I'm going to do bands even way more metal than these bands and and we actually had a really hard time getting shows because it was like well, you guys are, you guys are way too metal like why do you want to play these punk and hardcore shows and it's like well these are the bands that we love and this is the scene we want to be a part of but, you know. But our music was was very very metal, and so it was, it was actually sort of like shooting ourselves in the foot, and we never really um, became a part of that scene. Uh, Do you think that was a until after we were already big? Do you think that was a mistake, though? No, not at all. I mean, yeah. I, I guess there's um, something to be said to be going against the 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 you know the tide. Yeah, well, it's ironic now is because you know. Uh, now being a traditional sounding hardcore band is very rare and, and being a metal band is you know <laughs> it seems to be the popular thing but right right yeah. right right and now those those guys would would love to book you guys i'm sure um what's the uh, 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 uh so so your formation and your and your your central ideas for as la dying and for your future acts and music really was a reaction against something else in a way it was like i see what's going on here i see but I don't want to do that. I want to take it to another. I want to do something against yeah. that, you know, versus that, uh, uh, contrary to that. Well, it's like a sense of appreciation, but also wanting to just take it further to to, to one extreme, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, I'd, uh, it's hard to say that it was a total reaction against that because it's sure because there was so much. Uh, I mean, even you know, even now listening to those bands, there's so much nostalgia and so much you know, you know that I appreciate about about that scene. And um, yeah, it, but it is it is a reaction in some ways to just like you know stretch it further hey look if you guys are getting heavier why don't we just get really heavy and just you know be a metal band that that you know has uh has a very down-to-earth mentality and i think that's the um you know that's the one thing that even now even though our our newest record is i think completely a metal record Mm -hmm. the the one thing i've kept from that scene is that 
you know, our lyrics are very, very down to earth. It's not I'm not writing about dragons or wizards or anything like that. I don't I don't care about the typical metal themes of, you know, of extreme negativity and things Apocalypse like that. And you know, yeah. yeah, like I I want to uh, focus on ways I can change myself and hopefully help change other people and stand. You know, politically, if there's things, um, I'm not, you know, the biggest in into politics, but you know, like f- from the standpoint of poverty, if if there's ways that we're you know abusing. Um, you know, those in poverty or oppressing those in poverty, you know, I want to stand up for those things. And those are all sort of ethics I learned from from the hardcore scene that, you know, I grew up uh, in and really still, you know, still love, even though our music sounds nothing like that. You know, it's, you you evolve as a, as a man and you evolve as a musician. And as every year goes on, you've been able to kind of add this to your life and edit that out of your life. And it, I'm just curious as to from record to record to record uh, to uh, piece of art to piece of art, do you? How much of it is getting influenced just by what you're listening to then, versus necessarily that you've grown up more? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and and could could there be could it, could a critic sit back and point at each record you've done and say, okay, this record, this was obviously I hear shades of this and that and this and that one, you know, because that's what critics do. But yeah, are they yeah. right? Uh, well, from my perspective, yeah. what's what's happened is, uh, and we talked about this a little bit. Um, before it was just that the first album was so influenced by what immediately surrounded me, you know, uh, sure. be, being a Christian band, uh, an obvious one is listening to our very earliest recordings. Um, Zeo was one of the biggest Christian bands at the time. And there's a very obvious influence by, by Zeo. And then with each album, um, we released became less and less influenced by our contemporaries and more and more influenced by, by the, the early metal records I grew up listening to, um, you know, so why it, is that though? Is it a search for nostalgia, or is it? Well, a, no, it's, a, I think it's it's what, that what causes I, that? I, I started liking less and less of the the bands that were coming out, and so because they were all sounding the same, or they were copying you, or well, I mean, there's 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 some bands that they copied us, you know, but I, mean, I especially I would, after I would, 2003, I mean, after yeah, after but, the, uh, yeah, I was gonna say 94 hours and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. That didn't happen until later. I think it's the, um, you know, really just that that those those old recordings I I'd first heard. Um, I think it was deeper ingrained into my mind those those styles of melodies and the newer bands that would come out I would I would always feel like I could cr- criticize them in some ways whereas I couldn't criticize you know I mean I I could always Metallica. wish I could always wish that Iron Maiden was was heavier and had like you know double bass and things like that but my way of of fixing that problem was by saying okay well let's do that I mean let's take an, a Maiden style of melody and put this this you know the brutality of of death metal and double bass behind it. You know, and um, you know I I would rather and, and just basically every record came and and we became less influenced by these new bands that were coming out. You know, and 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 eventually with the with the newest album, I I would say that none of us were listening to any um, any of our contemporaries when we were writing it. I mean, I, the closest um, you know band looking back like Windy Shadows or Security, the most modern band, I think that influenced us. Uh, and an obvious one as well, I think, would be a band like In Flames. Mm. You know, who even even them. I mean, looking at the scheme of music, I mean, they were they're still a, a band who's been around for, you know, I, twelve years. I, I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe fifteen. Who knows? I you know, and and uh, it's weird now that they're friends of ours. You know, to uh, you know to have have in, been influenced by them on, on some of our earlier records. But even now, with with our newest records, that's even less and less influenced by our contemporaries. And you know, if, if we love a band like that, you know, when when I was when I was 19 and when I was 20, when I was first starting this band, and, you know, I really loved and appreciated In Flames. At this point in my life, I've been able to figure out, okay, well, who influenced In Flames? And that was, you know, Priest and, uh, you know, and, you know, even, um, 
you know, the bands, well, who influenced Priest? You know, who, who influenced Iron Maiden? Oh, that was all the way back to Thin Lizzy. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily um, like the the aggression that's behind those bands because I think it's a little bit more blues-based, a little bit more mm-hmm. you know, rock oh, sure. and roll. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, that, that sense of melody is still, still you know, hasn't been beat. You know, like, you know Metallica still has, has more of a driving sound, you know, than... They, they don't have nearly as much double bass as we do, you know, but they still have just as much of a driving sound, you know, so... Do you uh you played some shows with Iron Maiden though, didn't you? Yeah, we so did. We with did. Ozfest. Yeah, Ozfest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I the generic question would be how was that? But yeah. I mean, literally, I mean, this is somebody that that is an icon within the community yeah. and I mean, was it everything you thought it was going to be? Well, the the only thing um that was different was that I thought that maybe I would get to meet him at some point on the tour. You never met him. And that's that's actually, I, th- I don't say that because I feel like, you know, those guys were hiding out or that they were trying to be rock stars by any means. It's just that, um, you know, that tour was just such such a massive tour. I mean, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. You know, that that there's just so much going on all the time. And, and if, if those guys were out and about hanging out and catering, getting something to eat, it just happened to be while I was doing an interview, you know, backstage, uh, you know, for something else. And it's just, we just never really cross each other's paths you know and uh you know i i don't i don't regret um you know that this, it's not like i ever saw them and it was like oh man i should have said hi to them it just just really never happened you know so sometimes things are are meant to be and not meant to be yeah, so, yeah. you know um let's go back to uh we, we take two song breaks during the podcast and oh, okay. um, and uh, i just kind of wing it and ask you to, to name two songs from two bands from whatever Okay, um, and uh, but I like to put some context into it. So I like to actually go back to uh, when you guys were recording the first record around that time period, and uh, the, you know, the band was formed by that point. And uh, what were you? Where were you working at that point? What kind of job did you have at that point? I know at one point, like the last yeah. job, supposedly was a was in a furniture warehouse of some sort, yeah, right? yeah. two thousand four ish or some of like that. So, but at that time period, it was about two thousand one. Yeah, it's really tough to, to two thousand two. Um, well, I was going to school at the time, so. Where'd you go to school? Was uh, it college school or was yeah, it? Uh, San Diego State. Yeah, oh, yeah San Diego State. What were you going for? I was actually going to be a philosophy major. So. No way! That's no, awesome. Yeah. Great. Great. <laughs> I, I really uh, wasn't. You know, I didn't have a a career path, and obviously, it's not the most practical job as far as making tons of money. I I guess I just never really cared about that. It was something that interested me enough to get me through school. So, <laughs> right, uh, right. I mean, that's the one thing. I, you know, I remember obviously uh, the same time you know that I was going to school, and I think that I may have been working uh, for my parents' company as their uh, their assistant office manager, which basically sounds awesome, but it really means that I was going around, you know, changing light bulbs, you know, uh, you know, taking care of the shipping and, and things like Somebody's that. Somebody's got to so, be the worker. Yeah, in. yeah. Somebody's got to so, be the worker. In. And that was probably the one era of my life where I did work for my parents. Uh, you know, previous to that, I, I did upholstering and I worked at a Chinese food place. And, you know, I've done hey, all kinds of strange, strange you put, you jobs. Know, you know, all you got to do is say the name of that Chinese place right now on, on this podcast. And there will be people going to that Chinese and sitting there because they know you worked there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did work at Pickup Sticks, which is actually a chain in, in uh, Southern California. And it, so. which store was it, though? Which outlet was it? Uh, the do you one remember what street is it? In, uh, yeah, it was off of uh, Via de la Valle in, in Del Mar, California. All right. There we are. It's, yeah. Now it's infamous. It is yep. infamous. So, okay. So it's back at that point. What were the two songs that you and your friends uh, would put on? Let me see. It was in the 2001. Yes, you did have CDs um, before iPods, though. So you put on the CD player, and uh, were the two, were the were the weekend songs at night? Were like the Friday night songs, the Saturday night songs? Like there had to been two bands, two songs. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what was constantly being played in, in the van when we were touring in 2001. I, um, 
I think you know it was funny because uh, uh, this sort of also represents some of the my friends who were filling in for us on tour, or actually, uh, ideally back then I wanted them to be members of the band, you know, but they had their other bands. But uh, mm. um, that we we all listened to American Nightmare because they all they all were right. all from from more traditional sounding hardcore bands, and obviously, like I was saying earlier, a scene that I that I really loved, and we we would listen to American Nightmare all the time. So it's, which song by American Nightmare though? Which song? Do you oh remember? man. No, honestly, I. I uh, How about a record? Well, just give me the record. Well, title it was we'll um, background music was the, okay. the American Nightmare record. So, right. yeah, really, any any song off that record, um, they're all about a minute and a half or two minutes long. You know. <laughs> so, so. Be, all right, so that's all right. So now we need like a seven minute song to kind of yeah, counterbalance yeah. it. There, what's? Well, give me another. Give me well, another band. Another song. Well, I mean, you know, a song that's, that's always you know, if we're going for the seven minute, maybe maybe it's closer <laughs> to six minute. But song that's always influenced me, uh, uh, you know, would be would be. Uh, battery for master of puppets you know i think the mm-hmm. you know maybe to offset the the hardcore song i chose you know sure. maybe, maybe more of a of a metal one and uh yeah th- that's you know you know even even all the the guys that were f- you know first playing bass and guitar for us you know like i said i was trying to st- sort of steal them out of their like more traditional sounding hardcore bands and even those guys had an appreciation for a song like battery even you know so uh, there was there was there was moments where i thought oh maybe i'm gonna you know convince them to switch over to playing metal you know but Right, right. It never listen, quite listen happened. The great, the great converter. Right, yeah, right, right. right. And that, that's why we had so many member changes at the beginning. My my skills of manipulation weren't weren't good enough. You know. Uh, you can you can take the guy out of the hardcore. We can't take the hardcore out of the guy. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Right, you know what I mean. Yeah. All right, we'll be right back to the AP podcast.
know that it, I've been doing research for this. Every single article I read, every single website interview I read, and I'm not trying to make this an ad to be another one, but I want to talk about it from a different perspective. Every single one starts off with, boy, you're a Christian metal band. What's it like to be metal and Christian? What's it be like Christian to be metal? What's but it's, it's almost like music journalists in general seem to see, still seem to see the idea of someone having faith and someone being in rock and roll, period, as an oddity. Yeah. It's even weirder to, to, to have uh, uh, a Christian belief and play in rock and roll than it is to be like a Christian scientist, it seems like. You know, which usually <laughs> I, I think that they would get a harder time, but it seems like we get, we get more, uh, more flack for it than they do. Um, uh, you know, I think for us, like, we finally have, have gotten to a point where uh, people respect, uh, respect us and, and can listen to our music and, and not just judge us by the fact that we're a Christian band, but... But it is interesting that in every article, instead of just saying, you know, hey, Asla Dying is a, you know, the metal band from from San Diego, it's always we're a Christian metal band from San Diego, and um, it's 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 kind of a catch twenty two because, you know, part of me feels like, okay, well, that is correct. I mean, all all of us are Christians. We're not ashamed of it. It, right. it is a very very important thing to us, you know. So that that's a correct title, but but then part of me feels like, well, that's a little bit unfair, only because, you know. Uh, you know, our our goal was is to write the best music that we can, and and for, I don't want anybody listening to our music for any other reason than that, that they like it or dislike it. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't even even for other Christians that are out there, I don't want them to listen to our band just because uh, I'm a Christian and, and and my lyrics, uh, you know, many of them are spiritual. I I think that's the wrong reason to listen to our band. I mean, they should hear our music, hear the lyrics, the whole package, everything together, and be like, wow. I really relate to this. I really connect with this music. There's, you know, it it gets me pumped, or 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 it, it draws emotion out of me, or, or whatever, whatever, like you know, somebody's motivation for listening to it is. And I feel like um, that's not always the case. You know, I feel like some Christian fans like us because we're Christian, and not not because of the music that we play. And and then some some uh, secular fans will will discredit us and not even take a chance to listen to our music. You know, and you know, they they might actually love our music, but they won't listen to us because you know, they know that I'm a Christian, so. It's, uh, there's been a movement, there's been a change, there's, you know, and, and I don't know if it's because it's just a generational change, you know, if your parents are into it, you're more than likely to be against it, and then when you get older and you become parents and your kids are going to be against what you're into. Yeah. It's just how it is. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of seeing it now where parents are getting MySpace pages and now the kids are rejecting MySpace because their parents are on MySpace. Yeah, so, yeah. you know. Um, so it, it, you kind of saw in the 80s, and this is all I've been able to piece together so far from everything I've studied is that in the 80s and the 90s you had parents that came out of um, uh, of the of the of the the faith groups that were very kind of they they had a criteria they had a list and they came out of the the Pat Robinson era and the and the Jim Baker era and uh, and and uh, Jerry Falwell era mm-hmm. and then you had their kids now of those parents who came out of there are saying. Well, we're, we want to have faith too, but we reject your rigidity. Mm-hmm. We reject your stereotypes. Um, we reject um, your, uh, your preaching, I guess in a way, your condemnation of others yeah. unless you follow these criteria. Um, and it's interesting now to see the battles, and unfortunately a lot of bands such as yourself, MXPX, 
uh, Anne Berlin, people like that get caught in this crossfire between these two generations and in sometimes even within the current youth generation because there are those that are go to Cornerstone that feel that bands of faith that say that they're Christian or they, they, they even mention it in an interview once must toe the line. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain their criteria and then you, their, their peers are like saying, no, they can go out and drink. They can have fun. They're imperfect people. Mm-hmm. So what, what, you know, and it, it seems to be this battle over what is the truth what is true faith yeah, to yeah. The, to everybody? And, you know, um, I just, I would just imagine that it's got to be very difficult for you at times to kind of be, you would, I, mean, I could just see a band that's such as yourself kind of wanting to hold both sides apart and saying, everybody, yeah, <laughs> stop. Yeah. Well, it's, it's weird because what's most important to us uh, is not necessarily what's most important to another Christian. So, uh there is one hesitancy to say we're a Christian man because it's like, well, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who say they're Christian. You've got President Bush who says he's Christian. You've got, you know, uh, I'm trying to think, you know, on, on the other end of the spectrum, you know. It's like saying what is punk. You know, you've, you know, you've got Mother Teresa who actually cared for the poor and the oppressed, you know. And, and it's like, well, these people don't really seem to see eye to eye. I mean, Mother Teresa and George Bush really have a lot of very opposing point of views, you know. Uh and, and so when we say we're Christian, I, I can only hope that somebody will just want to get to know us, especially with, you know, somebody who writes lyrically as, as vulnerable, you know, as vulnerable as I am, you know, we're just like, hey, this is my life. This is what I'm going through. And these are, you know, my struggles. I mean, somebody could really get to know what we're about or what I'm about by, by reading our lyrics. And I would hope that they would, um, you know, get to know me as opposed to just saying, oh, okay, well, he, he says he's Christian. That means he's just like President Bush or he's just like, you know, wh- whoever else it is that, that's uh, you know, in the in the uh, celebrity limelight that says that they're a Christian, you know. And um, I think what else is unfortunate about that is is uh, when people put too much attention on on certain small issues. Like for me, um, you know, the oppression of of, of poor people is something that I've, I've become increasingly more uh, aware of. You know, even from the clothes that I'm I'm buying now, I'm trying to you know be be aware of that. To really, to the you, way- you're kind of watching your overall image. Kind of in a way. Well, just 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 in that you know, I don't want to buy, you know, I don't want to buy pants from a from a from a company that is you know, oh, okay, doing child labor and, right, and I see you know all that kind of right, stuff. Right, 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 right. You know, and, and so I'm I'm trying to become more aware of that, and that's become more and more of an important issue to me. And what's become less and less important is, you know, if somebody has one beer or two beers, you know, and it's like, well, oh, if they have if they have one more, are they going to be officially tipsy or are they going to be considered drunk like you know th- you know oh did he did he eat dinner tonight i mean if he has a third beer and he didn't eat i mean maybe he's gonna you know maybe that'll put him over the edge and it's like you know that i'm not tipping I'm not, point so yeah, to speak. <laughs> yeah i'm not really gonna i'm not so concerned with watching that that line for 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 my friend and and, and pointing the finger and saying look i think you crossed that line today but i'm not sure but i think you did. you know i i would rather me and that friend sit down and have a conversation and say you know, look, let's take, let's take the obvious, you know, don't, don't get totally wasted. Don't get hammered. That, that's obviously wrong. You know, if you want to have a, have a beer, it's not, it's, there's just nothing wrong with that. There's nothing biblically wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's spend the time we normally would be arguing back and forth on the, on the middle, the you know, middle ground with that. Let's, let's spend that time figuring out how we can, how we can serve people who are in need. I mean, and to me, it seems like that's, that's more of a principle that Jesus himself was trying to you, you know, trying to pass along to to not only his disciples but the the entire you know Jewish society that he was a part of. You know, mm-hmm. and it, and I think that 
even even if you look throughout the Bible, there's more, um, you know, there's there's more about the way that we that we treat the poor than there is, you know, really ab- about that topic of. I'm, I'm not saying that that makes you know the topic of of being drunk or alcohol mm-hmm. not important. I'm not I'm not saying that by any means, but I'm just saying it's, you know, a lot of conservative or quote unquote conservative Christians easily overlook the way that they spend their money and they, you know, they'll be driving. You know, Humvees and. Well, did you, you know, see that cover whatever. story in Time? It was uh, earlier this year where it said it was, is it wrong to be Christian and rich? And there was a whole movement, yeah. and they were talking to all these major pastors and some people, business people, they were saying, no, it's fine. Jesus would want us to celebrate our, our wealth. Yeah, see, yeah. So I mean, it's another interpretation I'm of not gonna point the that finger. Bible. Yeah, I'm not going to point the finger, but I, I would say I completely disagree with that. I mean, I, th- I think if somebody, you know, I don't think Jesus wants us to to live horrible and uncomfortable lives. But I, I, I think that, you know, if I live in a, uh, an eight bedroom house and it's just my wife and I, you know, I think there's something wrong with that, you know? And I, I think, I think there is really? only because I live 20 minutes from Mexico, you know, and I could go to Tijuana any day of the week and find, you know, four and five year old children begging for change, you know? And it's, so it's like, well, if that didn't exist and there weren't those, those kids in, in Mexico, you know, that are living in like literal like trash heaps and, and things like that, then then I would say, you know, if, if that didn't exist, everybody should be as rich as they want to be. And they should have, you know, if, if they can have, you know, 20 bedroom houses and, and, and you know, 15 SUVs, and, you know, that didn't, well, if they didn't hurt the environment, I guess that's a whole other right. issue. But, but, you know, <laughs> then, then go for it. But the, the fact of the matter is there are people starving and, and those are bigger issues biblically than mm-hmm. most conservative Christians are willing to admit. And it's so easy to brush under the rug, you know, the the poverty thing, you know, because nobody, there's really not a lot of accountability on how people spend their money, you know, so they can brush that under the rug and instead let's really, really focus on, on, you know, on, I guess, I guess, I mean, to, to bring up the issue, you know, let's really, really focus on, um, you know, abortion. Let's just like, let's sure. just really, you know, go, you know, just go you know, overboard on some issues to where, you know, maybe they, 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 I think have a reaction against, you know, Christians have a reaction. To, uh, well, both pr- sides do in all honesty. You know, yeah. I mean, but, the, the polarities are always kind of, the more you get in the center, the, the you know, I've usually found that the easier it is to get things done. So yeah. And you know. it, it's almost, it's almost impossible for, for one side to relate to the other on the issue of abortion because they've, you know, so many Christians have, have polarized the issue so much, you know, but, you know, I guess the, the point, in, in, you know, sort of uh, simplified just that that I think um, there's so many different point of views within Christianity that you have to get to know the person before you judge them. Do you um, uh, there was a, there was a I found on the online when I was doing some research and I was actually originally trying to go back and find out about rock and roll history and I unfortunately had the book at home and I didn't have it but and and the Southern Baptist preachers back in the twenties and uh, the. 40s, early late 40s, and then primarily into the 50s, that were preaching against rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And when Elvis got out of it, then it was all hell broke loose. Um, and but basically, always condom, you know, rock and roll is going to destroy the planet, uh, you know, and and so forth, so on. And I found a gentleman that I, it was copyright 2001. Funny enough, when the when the band was starting up, um, and he was putting a response to Alice Cooper. Um, and Alice Cooper at the time uh, had said that, um, and he said it in HM uh, uh, magazine. Funny enough. Oh, yeah. Um uh he's his quote was uh Cooper said he attended church with a hellfire pastor and turned to Christ. On his conversion he says that initially it was quote unquote more out of the fear of God rather than the love of God. I did not want to go to hell. 
And this gentleman, uh, and I, uh, he's uh, part of the Fundamental, Fundamental Baptist Information Service in Port Huron, Michigan. And uh, he wrote that, uh, of course, the fear of God is not a wrong motive. A sinner cannot properly know the love of God until he knows the fear of God. Um, and uh, he, he basically goes on and he says um, that uh, Alice Cooper was, uh, uh, did not repent enough. Uh, and he, he, uh, he states that, uh, in fact, everything he performed in those days, in the, back in the 70s and so forth, when he was doing his big stage shows, you mm-hmm. know, became obviously part of Ozzy's deal and then Marilyn Manson's deal later on, um, uh, had a religious aspect. Even if it did not mention God, because it was aimed directly at the breaking of God's holy commandments, God commands young people to have no other gods before him, but you told them to serve themselves above all. God commands young people to obey their parents, but you told them to disobey. And... He says, um, you know, you talk about the Rolling Stones, Aerosmith, ACDC, Led Zeppelin, those great, great bands. Great in whose eyes? Great in the eyes of a thrice holy God. Um, you know, you do not warn people of the evil of these groups. By your actions, you're encouraging generation after generation to be destroyed by the vile rock bands that come along one after another like the plague. Mm-hmm. And it's usually you find with these sorts of people um, where they say You've, you are of faith, but you are a musician in the rock and roll thing. You have to give up rock and roll to be pure, to be true. <coughs> and I just kind of wonder if um, uh, when a musician, in their eyes, in this person's eyes, when a musician says, I am an imperfect human being, you know, we are all imperfect. I am going to, um, uh, I, I believe in the words of Jesus in helping people, which is kind of what Thomas Jefferson did with the Jefferson Bible when in 1801. He, he took the Bible and he tore out everything that didn't have anything to do with Jesus in it. And all he had was left with only the things that Jesus either said or did. Mm-hmm. And they called the Jeffersonian Bible. And he said, that's my Bible. And some people live by that. They say, you know, if what you're talking about, help the poor, help those that are, you know, down, things of that sort, the Mother Teresa way, more or less. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and, and so musicians in this person's eyes would sit there and go, I'm imperfect, uh, so thus I will never be perfect, so thus I can continue to be imperfect. And that's how they see it. They're kind of like, they're kind of looking at it going, you're the lazy guy who doesn't want to get a job, so you're using the word lazy, you're using the excuse as lazy is the reason why you're not, I'm just lazy. Okay, well, I don't need to get a job. Well, yeah. why don't you just get a job, is their opinion. It's a big setup, but you know what I'm saying? That yeah. seems to be the battle. Well, yeah, I mean, the whole question in, in that article are very thought-provoking in of themselves, you know, so uh, it's hard to, you know, address every No, 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 I know, but, but I'm just trying to put it in context. Yeah, you know? I mean, I, I think people that, you know, within Christianity, the idea of God's grace is, is that is that he's saved us from, from this way of living that's not only, um, you know, leading us toward hell, but is, is also leading us towards a worse, a worse life here on earth. And so um, it, it, it does show that we take God's grace for granted, if, if, you know, we're not going to try to change. And I think, you know, the, the guy who says, oh, well, you know, I'm imperfect and, and uh, I'll never be perfect, so I'm just going to continue to do the things I've been doing. I think, you know, that that is, you know, biblically completely wrong and doesn't doesn't have any, I mean, even from like a, a standpoint of logic, I mean, th- that doesn't make any sense. I mean, you know, I, I mean, an effort, uh, you know, God judging our heart. I mean, he knows, he knows our effort. He knows how much we care. He knows, and our love really is shown back to, to, to God in, in that, and that we do put so forth an effort, even though we do fail, that we, every time we fail, we continue to say, you know, God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your forgiveness. And, and, uh, you know, uh, so 
you know that 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 that's one end of the spectrum that's just totally totally you know ridiculous. And then okay. you have this guy who's, um, you know, judging Alice Cooper and saying that Alice Cooper is, you know, disingenuous basically. Yeah, and and I think you know, even just by hearing his his quote there, I think he's misunderstanding Alice Cooper. I mean, when you say this is my brother and this is who I grew up listening to and who influenced me, it's not saying I have two older brothers. I love them to death. I won't say that everything that they taught me growing up was was good, you know, but it doesn't change the fact that they taught me tons of things growing up and I, I was very influenced by them. And, and, and musically, Alice Cooper musically was influenced by Jim Morrison, you know, or, you know, or, or whoever else was on that list, you know. That's not saying that he agrees with Jim Morrison's philosophies on, on life and that he thinks everybody should do drugs until they die, you know. I, I think that, that uh, you know, the Baptist guy here who... Mm-hmm. who who said all these things, you know, he, he isn't taking the time to, to know or understand, uh, Alice Cooper before, before just attacking him, you know? And so I, I think if, if they were to take the mentality, Hey, look, you know, we both believe that, that we need God's forgiveness and God's grace. Uh, that's what we see eye to eye on. That's the most important thing. Let's sit down in a room. Let's talk about this. And you know, maybe there are ways that Alice Cooper could have, you know, uh, you know, better influence the generation. And maybe they would have come to that conclusion if they sat down and had a conversation, you know, as opposed to like one guy attacking the other, you know. Do you think there's any sort of truth? Do you think that that, um, there are musicians out there that are of faith that are in the community um, and and that you've known, you've seen that are, I guess, playing in between the lines? Yeah. That maybe are abusing their, you know, they want to have it both ways. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there's there's been times even in, in our own career where I, I've taken a step back and realized, you know, you know, I, I think that we, you know, we've made some mistakes, you know, that that mm-hmm. we need to turn around and and here we are as a band, you know, when somebody says, "Are you a Christian band?" we say, "Yes," you know. Mm-hmm. Um, usually with, a journalist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a journalist <laughs> asks, you know, but but usually, um, you know that that most people assume that okay well then they've got everything they've got everything nailed down they're they're totally they're they're like my pastor pretty much they are right. equal to my pastor because they said they're a christian and they play music you've now been put up on a pedestal yeah and right. it's like well you know first of all even if i was your pastor i mean i'm going to make mistakes you know um it's definitely one one way of thinking is it oh i'm going to make mistakes i don't care about it and that's that's i think that's you know out out in, in left field and i th- think that's um you know that's where some bands are, and 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 I think that's really really unfortunate because uh, that's not how we are. You know, we do care when we make mistakes. We do want to, you know, rectify in, any you know situations where where we've uh, you know we've been on tour and we've, we've done something you know that we don't we don't agree with. Uh, even though we recognize it within ourselves, we still um, you know the best thing we could do at that point is to admit we made a mistake. You know, it's not mm-hmm. to try to like. Uh, just hide it, you know, and and uh, I think that there are some people who just try to hide on the, on the, you know, I guess I'm just going across the spectrum. Sure, here, no, so I know, I know. I don't want to be too confusing here, but there are some people who just won't admit when they've ever made a mistake. Their Christian bands are like, you know, we we are your pastor, like we're just as we're just as like perfect as Jesus Himself, and they try to just sweep everything under the under the rug, and and you know, and and then people look up to them, uh, you know, as like these almost perfect beings. And that doesn't, that doesn't help anybody change any, because I, I want people to relate to my struggles, relate to the ways that, that I've been prideful and, 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 and see, see my lyrics and say, Hey, look, I, I've been prideful and now I want to 
to fix the situation with with humility and come back before God and and, and seek His forgiveness. And I want to be a, a real a real person that that has uh, a mentality that not only can you relate to if you're a Christian, but you can relate to if you're not. I mean, somebody reads our lyrics and they say, you know, I don't necessarily take the spiritual approach this guy takes, but I can definitely relate to uh, to living life and and doing the things that I hate, like you know. Um, Knowing how I want to change, knowing that I'm I live my life with certain addictions, sure. and knowing that I want to to be freed from those, and and even though that's what's in my head and that's what I'm conscious of, that my my body wants to do something else, you know, and it's just, I mean that, that's th- those are the type of issues that I think anybody can relate to, especially when you're a musician out on the road. And you're living like it's almost like you're in a totally different universe at that point because you're resisting these things. You're trying to keep to your not to a code necessarily, but to some beliefs. And you've got these enticements every time you walk into a new venue. When you walk into another city, there's enticements yeah. everywhere because the rest of the world isn't necessarily living like that, yeah. especially in this world, the entertainment world, which is just, you know, it's it's pretty much near Caligula form at this point. So yeah. um, do you, uh, and it's, it's just kind of interesting to kind of see that, um, you know, the Bible, and I don't know which verse it says, and I don't know which, you know, a chapter or anything else like that, but it, it talks about beware the false prophet. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting. It seems as though people as such as this gentleman say the musician that preach that says their faith as the false prophet and the musician of faith sits there and says the person who claims that they are better than you is a false prophet. Yeah. And we've definitely been accused of, of being false prophets. Really? You know, it, uh, there was a, uh, a, a guy that called us, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing, uh, you know, and, and and things, you know, which is actually which I mean, would make a great album title, by the way. Well, and has been used, obviously. <laughs> but uh, you know, which which is you know um, something you know Jesus Jesus warned his disciples against was you know beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. So I mean, you know, it's we we've been accused of of, of being that, but I th- I think that um, the whole other side of the issue, that, you know, with these people that are saying stuff like that, don't understand is that the I think we are exactly where where God would want us to be. I mean, if if in our society, uh, if there is anybody who's in touch with, um, you know, being against the mainstream way of thinking, it's it's you know, it's people that that, that are into underground music and people that sure. that are already questioning okay. you know this this whole pop formula that's been sold to them for years and years, and they're already questioning that, and they're already you know feeling like they don't they don't quite fit exactly in with with. Um, you know the normal emotions that the rest of the world has when they sure. when they listen to music, and you know so it's like well here's people that that we relate to very very well, and that that are exactly the people who Jesus himself I, I feel like would would want to to spend his life with, and 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 you know um, and I I just feel like uh, the the easiest thing in this whole thing is just. If somebody says they're a Christian, that that can mean a hundred different things. And and if there's a disagreement amongst Christians, instead of writing a letter and uh, you know a, a newspaper or magazine, you know, attacking each other back and forth, I mean, if if somebody really wanted to get a hold of me and sit down with me and talk to me about this kind of stuff, it's really not that hard. You know what I mean? They, they could come to a show early. They could come to a show ap- late when after we've loaded out, and they they could come they could come talk to me and they could say, hey, you know. This really bothers me. Let's sit down. Let's discuss this. Let's not mm-hmm. just attack each other. And I think that's what Christians have done for years. They just they attack each other in, in public forums to where um, Christianity in itself is so ununified that if that's even a word, ununified. But uh, hey, it's, hey you uh, know, Shakespeare made up a lot of words. Yeah. So, so for it. Um, you know that that I, I think that everybody sees that. And it's like, oh, there's no way I want to be a part of that because they can't even agree 
they can't even agree amongst themselves, let alone, you know, try to convert, you know, quote unquote, convert new people. And, and that's why our, our approach as a man has never been to, to come out and preach and try to convert the masses. It's just been to say, hey, look, this is my life. These are the struggles that I've faced. Sure. These are the things that I want to change within myself. And I hope that people out there can relate to that. And I hope that, you know, when somebody goes home and then they're feeling, you know, a lot of, a lot of people uh, listen to heavy music also sort of, I think, feel, you know, like not to sound too gothic, but like dark thoughts, you know, it's like, you know, mm-hmm. they, they're drawn to this music because they have, you know, like d- depressing thoughts and, at times or, or, or there's just the, something within the, the dark sound of the music that they, they relate to um, sonically. And I think that as, as they, you know, go through and they, they read, you know, read our lyrics that hopefully, you know, they say it, it is okay to, to feel this way, but we feel this way because we know there's a need for change and we know there's something missing and we know, you know, and, and those, those, that's the whole positive side that, that I feel like we are making an impact regardless of whether or not we come out and we beat people over the heads with our Bibles and, and preach from stage, you know. I, I, th- I think there's still um, a, lot, a, lot of, uh, a lot of people that we've been able to touch. Well, let's let's uh, let's take our second song break and uh, and let's uh, let's do a little. Um, I don't want to say converting, but let's say let's uh, <laughs> let's let's uh, let's try and turn some people on to some uh, some new light. Um, right. You know, because you br- you bring up uh, you know the the how communities and I think in our world today period we tend to kind of shut things down as soon as we hear certain code words. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's liberal, sometimes it's conservative and other people it's bush and other people say it's christian and yeah, you know what i mean right, right so there are people out there that are literally listening to this right now who heard that word christian and they shut down and and but there is plenty plenty of fantastic music within rock and roll um uh that came from people of faith that you that probably you know you would look up to or bands that you're listening to now that you're really really into yeah so I urge the listeners right now not to scroll forward with their <laughs> podcast. We're g- and and let's try and turn them on to something that maybe they're gonna go, wow. They just take you know like this actually sounds really cool, and I may want to check it out. So give me, let's give our listeners two bands, two songs that you think um, would surprise them. Uh, like, wow, this is. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I literally have to. Besides yourself, I, I could obviously, choose, I could choose any any band. <laughs> any band. Yeah. Well, this the, is education. Time. The first time I actually re- really respected a, a Christian band was uh, when I heard uh, "Living Sacrifice Reborn Empowered." Uh, that's actually the name of the album and the first the first track, and uh, it has a, a real long intro, so it kind of leaves you wondering where the song is going to go, and then it kind of kicks in with a very mashuga like oh, wow. um, sense of of syncopation and rhythm, and and it just proves that not only are these guys they're going uh, on in the last tour of the ministry, by the way. Who mashuga? Oh, they! Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I did hear. Yeah, yeah I heard yeah. about that. Sorry but, to interrupt, but yeah, it, it's um, you know, it, it's one of the first times I heard a Christian band. And we're like, wow, this this band is actually good at their instruments. They actually take pride in their songwriting, and you know, I, I always typically before that thought of Christian music as uh, as guys that didn't really care so much about being excellent at, at their musicianship. They just wanted to, like convey a certain message, and you know, this is like when I was very young as a Christian, and, and uh, you know, still ha- sort of had my. Uh, my animosities towards like the, the whole Christian, uh, you know, bookstores and all that kind of Got stuff, it. you know, who, who, the establishment, yeah, the establishment and everything like right. that. So it's like, Oh, well, you know, I, I was really turned off to Christian music, even when I first became a Christian and this was living sacrifice was, was one of the first Christian bands that, uh, sort of, uh, showed me that, that you can, you can be a Christian and actually, you know, do what you do with excellence. 
Okay, and we need another one. What's another one? Uh, another another uh, great band. I'm trying to think. There's there's actually you know a lot, especially in the, you know recent years. Um, you know, there's bands that are really very popular now, like Under Oath, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, but as far as uh, going back, um, an it older could be something contemporary too that you're listening. to. Maybe it could be something you know that's on an independent label someplace that you well, get turned on. I know that uh, not all of the guys um, in Thrice have see eye to eye, but I know Dustin uh, and I've had great. Uh, opportunities to talk with him just about you know how he feels on and he personally is a christian you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, so I, um i really uh, love the the thrice song image of the invisible so that's great all right we'll be right back after this
talking uh before we came back on about adapting and uh it is interesting and, and I, do, I i did not know this actually scott brought this up to me scott heisel brought this up to me about three days ago and he goes uh, first he started off the story was did you know that tim's dad wrote the tipping point so i was doing all this research saying there's no way the guy that wrote the tipping points for brooklyn tim's from the west coast Nobody ever says anything about in any of the pieces about them being related at all or anything else. I don't even know if the guy that wrote this book, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, has a family at this point. And um, and so then then it came down and went, oh, your dad's advertising agency was featured in one of the chapters within the tipping point. Right, right. And um, in a nutshell, um, I'll probably start off and maybe you can finish it briefly. But but um, basically, the nutshell is is that your dad uh, was hired by Airwalk to basically revitalize their brand. And make it the cool hip thing, uh, it kind of like uh, what Vance kind of done with theirs, and, and they kind of they started with the boutique stores and, the, and kind of getting with the trendsetters of what they did. And and your father's advertising agency built that brand up for Airwalk through a variety of different campaigns and tailored it to each market, yeah. so that you you he tailored the advertising uh, message to the trendsetters one way, and you advertise it to the mass market another way, so they were able to grow the company up. And then through a series of mistakes that the management made at the company, not your father, um, that tipping point hit where it became too big. Mm -hmm. And the trendsetters were uh, uh, 
not forgotten about, but they were minimalized. They weren't considered as important anymore in management, and thus the Airwalk brand collapsed out from underneath it because yeah. they lost their base more or less. Am I correct? Is that yeah, kind of no, how that, that, that's actually that's actually really uh, yeah really good assessment of it. Yeah, considering I just read the chapter today. So yeah. um, so it, 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 so your father uh, is your father still have the advertising agency? Is yeah, he, he still it, does it. How long very he... simply named the Lambesis. Uh, you know, Lambesis. That's it. They're they're in Southern California, called. San Diego. There or are they? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Carlsbad. Which is a northern suburb of San Diego. Okay, so and and I was reading this book, um, and there was a couple of things that could very much relate to your band now, because your band is, you know, uh, you, you know, if there was a, if there was a f- uh, ten rung ladder on the ladder of success, depending on who you talk to, I think everybody could pretty much figure that you're past five at this point, and you're about seven, six or seven on there. I mean, you haven't hit Metallica phase yet. Yeah, absolutely. but you're on that way up, and. Um, <laughs> And but there's now things to be concerned about because as you go up the ladder, now your struggles are very different than when you were underneath, you know, rung five. So, um, but uh, uh, it said in here, um, the, the quote was, "It's all about timing. You follow the trendsetters. You see what they are doing. It takes a year to produce those shoes." You're talking about the specific uh, shoes to the to the uh, the small boutique stores. By the time the year goes, if your trend if your trend is the right trend, it's going to hit those mainstream people at the right time. So, uh, and he's basically talking about timing and making mm-hmm. sure that what you're doing with your sound, with, with, you know, in this particular case, your sound and with your image and, and, and the kind of uh, marketing of your band is through your record company, you have to make sure that you're hitting everything just the right way. So you're keeping your fan base happy, but you can also grow it and you don't overdo it or, you know, do the right thing. And it's, do you kind of find you guys more aware of those sorts of things now? Yeah, I uh, I think especially regard regards to like um, mainstream radio and, and things like that. You know, we uh, we feel like where we're at as a band and and, and just really what matters to us and, and what our fans have connected with is is our the passion behind our music. Um, and it's not necessarily that our music doesn't have catchy parts to it, but but I don't think our our fans are, are looking for the the hit single. So I think by us trying to do, to write a hit single or to uh, you know go to mainstream radio, ultimately would hurt us more in the long run than it would help us. Um, you know because even if even if the mainstream uh, listener you know heard our song on their their regular rock station and, and became a fan, they'd be a fan for three months how they are with every you know, every radio that band that sort of comes and goes. And, and, uh, and, and the process, uh, one, we, we wouldn't be true to ourselves. We wouldn't be doing what we're passionate about. And then two, we would, we'd lose the respect of, of a real diehard, genuine audience, you know, that, that, uh, we've developed, you know, really from the ground up. I mean, our first, um, first album on Metal Blade sold less than a thousand records in its first week, you know, and, and ended up, uh, over time and just constant touring and, and really being down, you know, really being there with the fans and connecting on a personal level eventually, you know, it sold you know, like almost 250 at this point. So if you, if, with all your friends that have been in bands over the years and you've seen some of these band careers c- collapse, kind of like the Airwalk situation, is there a particular person or entity that you would kind of lump in as like the one that's more than 50% of the time responsible for the collapse, for the mistake? Is it the record company? Is it the manager? Is it the booking agent? It's the band's. It really it's is. the band. It is the band, in your opinion. Well, is it because they just lost control, or because they got too greedy? They got delusional. Nobody told them no. Well, any band that's that's doing well, you know, I, I think has understood the music industry at some point. I mean, they may not be 
entirely business minded people, but they they've the, the band doesn't doesn't get to a certain level without at least somewhat understanding the music industry. You know, they or maybe all they do is understand it well enough to know what manager they should hire, what booking agent they should hire. You know, all those kinds of things. But you know, it really uh, a manager works for the band, a booking agent works for the band, even a record label in a you know if the situation is is correct the record label should work for the band not the other way around and so if all these people work for the band it really comes back to the band the band makes the final decisions the band decides whether or not they want to uh try to go with a big radio single or if, if they want to try to be catchier or if they want to just be brutal as a for i mean i can really it's, it's hard for me to talk about other genres of music but as far sure. as like metal you know if they want to just write their most brutal and heaviest record yeah you know and that's always really comes down to the band and even um when if the record label really wants to to like try to do this uh you know spend tons of money to go to radio and the band really really disagrees the band could stop that and i've seen that happen i, I actually saw that happen with our friends in kill switch engage where right. the label really wanted to go to radio with a big single right off the bat and they were like you know we feel like this is a catchy song but but it, it's just one of of 10 other great songs on our record and we don't want to market this thing like we've got one song to sell you like we want people to know this is a good album and so they, they sort of went back and forth with the label a little bit and long story short you know, they all saw eye to eye eventually at one point, and and I think that both label and band will look back on the situation and feel like that's. The, they, I mean, they now have a gold record, and not only a gold record but a real genuine diehard fan base. You know, and so I think that's a great example of how really it still is within the band's control, and that you know, if you wouldn't sign with a record label unless you had at least a decent relationship with them. So, you know, even when band and record label disagree, they can you know they can have a conversation and, and see eye to eye, and, and and it really I don't know I think it really comes down to a band, and I think to try to blame bad management or bad timing or this and that really you know it's kind of pointing the finger you know would you rather sell on this record a million records to the world um or would you rather sell 500,000 records to people that were real fans the 500 to real fans definitely definitely I, I mean especially uh you know I don't really care that much about despite the royalties yeah, despite the royalties, uh, that well, and, and sort of even backs up this other point that I don't really care that much about making millions of dollars. I want to when I'm the when right, I'm, the when room I'm, house and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that the eight room house you spoke of? Like you don't need that. Yeah, you know? yeah. And 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 when I'm eighty years old and I am at that point where I'm, you know, telling my not only my kids I've told them, but I'm also now telling for the second time my grandkids about what really matters in life. And you know, it's, it's all those things that I would be able to take pride in, and, and uh, you know, that I was able to. To, to be in a band where where we we you know we were true you know we're true to to our passions and, and all that stuff you know I think that's was much more important in the long run I really appreciate you coming in and talking um, we've talked a lot we talked a about a lot of long, uh, deep things actually and uh, I really really appreciate it I wish you the best of luck with this record and oh, and, and uh, I I hope maybe the next time we talk that you're at like uh, rung eight or nine on that ladder well, you know. I, I but so then, too. but you probably won't be talking to me then, because you'd be like, you know, fuck this. Who is that? <laughs> just remember the airwalk. <laughs> who who are you again? <laughs> just remember the airwalk story. Yeah, That's all I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you so much for coming in. Oh yeah, thank you. AP podcasts are recorded at Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, a New York City quality studio at Cleveland prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, go to www.altpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. 
Post-production assistance from Rob Bertenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is all my fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com/slash Mike Shea AP. That's S H E A like the stadium AP. 